Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I release it as a podcast so that you, my audience, will feel encouraged, connected, and resolute in your own quest of subtle disruption. This week, I'm talking with Laurie Ingram. Here is a little bit from Laurie. You know, over the last year or so, funding for a lot of things have been cut. You know, not, not just homelessness and support for domestic violence victims, but also, um, you know, uh, prevention of suicide, a whole range of things. And we thought, oh, you know, they're spending that much money on sport, why don't we spend it on other things? It was great catching up with Laurie again, but before I tell you about it, I wanted to let you know about an exciting development in that I now have sponsorship for the show. This will allow me to start covering my costs as I continue to bring you new stories from different parts of Australia and across the globe. A brand new product to market, Roy Mint Company produced the highest quality fresh mints you can find and through a connection to local artists have created an entirely different mint experience. Available only in select coffee shops, partnered locations and online, you can learn more at roymintco.com and share their journey by following roymintco on Instagram. I've known Laurie for quite some time, but it was only recently that we reconnected after I saw an ad he made for the pitch segment of the Gruen TV show. I was moved to tears and already on my way to Sydney, so we chatted on the phone to arrange a time to meet. I'd only just decided to record conversations from people outside of Melbourne, and I thought he'd make a great fit. Creative, humble, thoughtful, he's not your typical ad man, and I knew he'd have some fascinating insights to share. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy listening to Laurie on the subtle disruption of the creative agency. Laurie, chatting with you. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, good for chatting with you. Now, the way I always start these podcasts is by asking you to describe where we are and yep. why you picked this place. Okay, we're at First Drop Cafe in Redfern, Sydney. Where we are and probably at the table we're sitting is where quite often myself and my creative partner Andrew Town come up with a lot of our ideas. It can be here, it can be a whole range of other cafes, but this one in particular is, is where we came up with an idea, a recent idea that we're pretty happy with, which is one that appeared on the Gruen TV show. So I thought it was pretty apt and uh, yeah, it's a good creative environment, I know. Yeah, cafes are a great place to just, I don't know, a lot of the people I've spoken to have actually spent a lot of time in cafes yeah. just pondering their life. And oh, I'm not sure whether it's just a reflection on, you know, that you get distracted in the office and you just don't, you just don't do your actual work there. But I mean, we're in an open plan office. It's fantastic. Great mix of businesses and people from landscape architects to people that organise kids theme parties. So it's it's a very crazy environment. But it can be a little bit noisy at times. Yeah. So it's quite good just to grab the exercise book and get out and have a couple of coffees. And I think we find you do far more concentrated, better, more productive work in a short space of time. Like you might come out for an hour, even just an hour, and, and you bang through so much more work than you might sit a whole afternoon in the office and noodle around and get distracted by, you know, online, social media or whatever, you know, yeah. or, you know, reading the paper online or something. So. I'm pretty terrible at that. I always have been, even since I was at school or at uni, you know. Anything to stop me actually doing work, I would do, whether it's read a 
Mad Magazine or a book or watch TV, you know. <laughs> and that's that's hasn't changed in 50, 50 years. So. <laughs> yeah. What? So what is your? I mean, do you have a process for coming up with creative ideas? Yeah, it's a mixture of um, process. Is a mixture of kind of. I don't want to sound pretentious, but it is science and then art. And and I'm not saying that advertising is art, but it, you know, it, 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 it creative expression. In that, you set the boundaries up front, well, the the road, if you like, that you want to go down, the strategy, and what you think is an interesting insight based on what you're trying to solve and and what the issue is and what you think is going to resonate with your audience. You know, we really like to find a trigger, an emotional trigger that's going to flick something in people when they see it. You know, we have a mission that's all about creating ideas that create conversations that create change. So it's finding those trigger points to do that. You know, what's the idea that's going to do that? So we put a lot of time in the front end of doing the strategy is a lot of um, not, not all quantitative work, but it's, it's very much looking at quite specific things, audiences and, you know, where opportunities are and what you want to solve. And you get down to a, an area or a proposition of what you want to talk about, but then you've got to turn that into an idea. And, you know, and that's when you do literally, you know, open up a new page in the exercise book and start noodling ideas. Um, I don't think there's a process in generating those ideas. I don't, you know, through my career I've gone through, there's so many different processes of, you know, there's the old Simon Reynolds ones. Simon Reynolds one of putting 50 boxes on a page to write ideas in, you know. Or there's doing brainstorming maps or, you know, or what have you. I just write everything down. I just yeah, get it like out. Stream of conscience kind just of write everything, even there. And Andrew and I have a great creative relationship where we, we have a, we, we might differ, you know, crowd teams, work in their own way, obviously. We tend to work individually on ideas yeah. and come together and then flesh them out. And, yeah. and we have a very open and honest way we do that, where we're saying an idea and if we don't like it, we can just say it immediately to the other person and it's kind of, yep, that's fine. So um, we have a phrase with that, if we get another, we go, no, that's just cock, that is cock. That is, that's <laughs> So it's kind of a disarming way to go, yeah, okay, all right. and. Um, and, but then sometimes, you know, you, you do bite your tongue. You go, I'm not, if I'm not uh, 100% sure that it's wrong, then you kind of go, oh, okay, maybe. And, and I've learned to trust my gut feel over the years. I used to ignore it and go, no, that can't be right. That's just too frivolous. But it's proven sometimes in hindsight to be devastatingly correct. And I go, why didn't I follow that? When, like, say if we've come up with an idea and then we didn't do it, and then for some reason it's been done by someone else, and you go, oh, and it ends up being a brilliant, yeah, something brilliant, yeah. So you know, the, the actual creative approach is just come up with ideas, and I've learnt through doing this for a long time is not to stress. For some reason, the ideas come. Yeah, you know, we're, I'm, we're in the middle of a new business pitch now. It's we've got two and a half. It's a very short timetable. We're starting with some ideas, but we're due to present it in a couple of days, three days, but. There's nothing right at the moment that I'll go, yeah, I'm going to present that. But I, I'm not overly worried. Yeah. I know something will come. Sometimes it can be quite late in the piece. And okay, coming up with the idea is can be an instant. You know, that can be driving the car on the bus. You know, I have a, quite a long commute, so I think about a lot of things on the bus. In the shower or when you're, oh, when you're distracted and playing with the kids on the weekend or 
So I guess the process when we sit down at this table at the cafe is to get the cogs working in your subconscious, start putting stuff down on paper. It may not be the idea we write now, this might lead to something tonight or tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll, or Andrew will give me a text in the morning and go, oh, what about this? And I go, yeah, 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 that's, that's great, that's great, let's do that, so. Yeah. So yeah, I know there's the old sayings about, you know, writing, it's, it's just all about, you know, getting a blank page and bleeding onto the page and stuff like that. But, and I used to stress so much about it as a young creative because there's so much pressure on, on you in an agency to come up with ideas all the time and you're only as good as your next ad and you're our next award-winning ad, really. And I'd be stressing over what, what it would be. And then at one stage in my career, I got moved and I, I, I got teamed up with a really senior art director. I was only quite young and this, this guy, was one of Australia's most awarded art directors. And I learned so much from him. And at one time I remember stressing about things and he just said, Laurie, at the end of the day, um, you know, we'll, we'll just write an ad. And he goes, it might not be the best ad. And he said, but we'll write an ad and then we'll write a better one. And then we'll do it in a step. And so, oh, right, right. so that guy, Alan Morden, he, he taught me so much of just not to stress and just to, to trust in your instincts and you'll, you'll come up with something. Because, yeah. um, you know, it's so subjective, advertising. What's a right idea and what's a wrong idea? You know, it's, it's, you might have three ideas and they all tick the boxes of they're going to appeal to your audience. You know, young guys, 18 to 30. Um, they're all funny to varying degrees. They're all right for the brand. Um, but which is the best can be very subjective. And that comes down to the subjectivity of you as a creative team and your creative director the agency you're working at, the kind of work they like to do, and most importantly, the client, what the client believes is right for their brand yeah. and what their vision is. And, you know, it may not always be what you you think it is, you know. Obviously, they, they've got... It took me a long while to appreciate this, is that, you know, clients have so many issues, internal issues that they're dealing with at their company. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that are just... Advertising is the very last pointy end of a you know, a long process. For FMCG clients, they're more worried about dealing with the duopoly of Coles and Woolworths fighting over shelf space than perhaps nuances in your TV script to them or how you're gonna activate something. Yeah, sure, they realise the importance of it, but if they don't get the shelf space, then the product's dead. Yes. It doesn't matter what they're running, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, You've got to appreciate that. You've got to hold your ground, though. You've got to, you know, be, you know, stand by what you think is right. And, you know, the clients are paying you for your professional opinion and it's no use just being a wind vane and going with what they want without voicing it. Of course, there's always going to be times when they're paying the money and it's going to be their final decision. And that's fine, but as long as you've, made, you've said your piece and what you believe is correct, then you know, that's all you can do. So, yeah. 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 I get that sometimes too, even when I was working on <clears throat> this breath mint business I've yeah. been working on and just we're thinking about names. And names would just drop in like at the most random times. And it's kind of like just activating the subconscious to think about things and then it'll just sort of tick away in the background and then <laughs> drop it to answer it when it's ready. I reckon coming up with names, whether it's products or a business, or, I reckon that I hate it. I yeah. find it the most difficult thing. Yeah. 
because it's it's such a finite thing. That's that's it. That's what it's going to be called. And as you say, it can be something can just pop. You know, you try to have a logical process of what's the brand values and what's it all about. What are you, what are you trying to say? And then you try and come up with this magical little name, and I find that incredibly hard. <laughs> I find it so hard. I find that so harder than coming up with a, an idea for a you know an ad or a, a TV series or one. You know, I can come up with a big idea, but those finite things are quite difficult sometimes. It's strange when those a name comes in into your brain, and I've, I've been fun. And you go, oh, that's brilliant, and then you can't. There's 15% of it you can't rationalize or go, why not? You know, it's all ticking a lot of boxes, but the last bit is it like, just works, I guess. It just works. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, I mean, how many names did you go through for what? Ah, oh, stack. Yeah. We, um, I was going to call it Mel Mints and Muse Mints. And, you yeah. know, then half of them, the domain's taken yes. or someone's got the trademark registered as well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. This, it's, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. It is hard. And then pretty much we just came to this and it just felt right and... And in the end, I think a name gets the meaning you impart to it yes. as well. It's like a kid's name in a way. I was going to just say that. Yeah. It's what, it's what is built around it and what, and they grow into it, you know, and your product will become that. Yeah, you know. that's right. You know, yeah. it's like with our agency name, you know, Mr. Mumbles, when, you know, it's something that really stuck with us early on and, and we love it. And, and you know, we, it, it's all about brands that if you're not out there saying something interesting, you're just like that person mumbling to themselves in the corner at the party. But, you know, that, that we didn't work through a logical process. It kind of, there's a bit of post-rationalisation with that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when my wife asked, you know, because we'd left big agencies and said, we're going to call the agency. And I said, Mr. Mumbles. And she said, what, was Mr. Sweaty already taken or something? And, you know, so it's not, it hasn't been, you know, accepted with joy by everyone. But it's a really, we get fantastic response to it, you know. And it's, yeah, some people don't like it or don't get it. And, but, um it's very memorable and people... It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it is, it's one of those things, you just... It's like with the kids, it's just like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier about the relationship that you and Andrew have and that ability just to call someone's idea cock. Mm. <laughs> How do you go... Has it taken a long time to be that detached from your own ideas and like to be able to you know, consider them objectively like that? Or does it still hurt when someone says no? When Andrew says that's that's no good? Oh, sometimes, yeah. And, you know, it doesn't stop either of us sometimes dragging things back out. But um, <laughs> And it's talking to a client and going, oh, what's, your, what's the issue you're trying to solve? And then to come up with an idea that'll spark a conversation that sparks change. I have no interest in doing anything that doesn't create a change because I don't see what, what the point is. Yeah, There's yeah. got to be change. And that and that change could be a very yeah. real shifting product change. Yeah. It could be changing brand awareness. It could be launching something. It could be behavioural change in the audience. It could be a whole range of things. But I think there needs to be that change. So we applied that. We were, we were asked to go on Gruen recently, the ABC panel show that's about advertising, marketing and spin. We'd been asked a couple of years ago to go on, but we, you know, as a boutique agency, it's... Putting the amount of time in that we thought we'd need to to, to do a, the idea that we'd be happy with, we, we were never comfortable with that. But, but at the moment, we thought, yeah, let's 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 um, have a crack. And they sent a brief, and it was a really interesting brief about. Um, so it's for the pitch segment on there, where they put two agencies up against each other, 
with what they call a, a counterintuitive brief. So over the years they've done things like we should invade New Zealand, we should sell Tasmania. Um, this year they've done, well, they've done that Tasmanian one. They've also done convince Americans to give back their guns. And that was the first episode. And they were, they were two really good spots. Yeah. So our brief around the Rio Olympics was to convince Australians that bronze medals are best. And we thought that was quite interesting, being such a sports-loving, mad country. And the brief is, you know, you come up with a 30 to 45-second idea, you know, essentially a TV commercial, and you pitch that idea to the panel and they vote on it. So they were very big about saying, oh, look, don't automatically come up with a humorous idea. And a lot of agencies go on, you know, doing funny ideas. And in reality, that would be our first reaction as well. I think that... You know, it's natural, you're going on a TV show, you want to do something that stands out, something that's funny. And I also said to them, look, this brief seems to lead to funny executions, you know, about it's the Rio games, it's don't win, come third, blah, 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 you know. And, and we, we pitched up a few ideas about, you know, Australians being such bad winners, you know, we're terrible winners, and maybe some of our sports people aren't the best role models, you know, <laughs> yeah. come to mind. And, you know, we're bad winners, you know, so the whole footage of Warnie up on the, up at the, the, <laughs> With the, the balcony at Trent, and we was at Trent Bridge, I think, and, yeah. and uh, you know, I'll, oh, was it Kyrgios and his sledges last year about his opponent's girlfriend and, um, yeah. so we, we thought all that and then we, and then Andrew actually, you know, we thought, oh, well, that's not much of a, we've got to live our mission, which is a, an idea that's going to create conversation that might spark a bit of change. So we're digging deeper into it and around the Olympics and the sport and he uncovered the fact that since the London Olympics, Australian government has spent nearly 400 million on Olympic sports, chasing gold. And we thought, wow, that's an amazing amount of money in only, in only four years, you know, because we got, we got smacked in, in London, you know, and the, the swimmers didn't do as well and the cyclists didn't do as well. And, and more, I think it was more that, the UK were doing so so well, you know. Yeah. And you know, as Aussies, we hate that. And and we thought, well, that doesn't seem right when you consider, you know, we're big, you know, supporters of social issues, and and you look at, you know, where we are here in Redfern, you know, you can't not be aware of issues of, you know, people living on the streets, and and also the the unbelievable rise in. I don't know whether there is a rise, but the, the incidence of domestic violence in Australia at the moment, the number of, you know, is it two women a week? It feels just absolutely ridiculous. And so if you look at that, you know, over the last year or so, funding for a lot of things have been, you know, not just homelessness and support for domestic violence victims, but also, um, you know, prevention of suicide, a whole range of things. And we thought, oh, you know, they're spending that much money on sport, why don't we spend it on other things. So again, there was a step, okay, well, that, that's the, the fact is we spend a lot of money on sport. We should be spending it on other social issues, or some of it. So we're not saying don't spend any money on sport, but there just has to be a balance. There has to be a conversation about it. So we did some funny executions about, again, of what that money could be spent on. You know, it's like, hey, let's do something for all of Australia. Let's spend 400 million on the best water slide park in the world for all of Australia, you know. Well, let's do other crazy things. And then I think because, you know, where we are and, you know, there's a, there's a homeless shelter just up the road and 
we both said, well, you know, there's probably more powerful message with just people who are doing it tough talking about the Olympics. It's like, are they going to be interested? They might be interested, but, you know, and the reality is. So, yeah, so we had, we just thought perhaps it was um, more powerful having the messages come from people who are a bit disadvantaged. And, and so we sent that script to to the production company, to Gruen, and you know, so, so they have a, they like to see what you're going to do. Right, yeah. Just because they don't like, you know, people just showing up for the show, show and going, um, Oh, we've both got a similar idea. So yeah, yeah. They don't really direct you. They just, we just said, oh, look, we've got a more serious idea, and they went, great, and then they loved it. So so then we had to work out how to make it because you've only got then, like, basically a week to make it. Right. And I thought, yeah, I'm not sure how we'll film. You could get an actor to, to play the role of one person talking about all these things. And then we thought, well, let's approach a few charities. And, and we're very aware of the sensitivities around filming people in that situation and, and not just you know we, we would give a donation to the charity but also give some some money to those people but you know Andrew and I were aware that what that would mean for those people in their community I don't I don't know how that would yeah, yeah. if they've suddenly got a lot of money but the couple of charities we spoke to said look it's very you know they're very uh, aware of the privacy of their their clients and um, they thought it was going to be very difficult to do and, and even in that you know more so in that time frame so we ended up using stock footage which was fantastic so grew and have an arrangement with getty images the stock library and you know sometimes you're quite cynical of what's available on stock footage you know stock uh, photography is fantastic these days but video can be a bit mixed but um we found yeah. some great footage. It took a long time to go through everything they had, and a lot of their stuff was quite American in its setting, so it just, just wouldn't have felt right. But we found those four people, yeah. footage of those, those four people, and we were originally just going to do it with um, supers as their, their statements, and then we thought, well, let's try and voice it with, with voice actors. So we, we booked in some time in a sound studio and got four, four actors in. And, and they all got quite really into it, you know. Actually, one of the one of the actors, she was crying as she was doing the script. She was finding it so emotional. Wow. So it was, yeah. So when when that happened, and the editor who was putting the footage together was going, oh, this is quite good. And you, and you know, when people who work in the industry and sort of do these things get quite into an idea, because they can be quite cynical. They've seen thousands of ideas and it's like whatever. But uh, yeah, the, we kind of knew there was some power in it. Yeah. Um, and it all just came together really well. So, you know, we put it together at Nylon Studios here in Sydney and, um, you know, with Stuart, the sound designer there, and then Heckler helped us with putting post-production. We've ordered the editing. And, and so we spent a day and a bit putting the edit together um, and treating the footage because because it was stock footage, it was all shot by different people, obviously. So we just then tried to give it a similar kind of look. Um, yeah, so we're really happy with how it turned out. It was a pretty powerful commercial. So essentially it's it's footage of, of homeless people looking to camera and, and then through supers and voiceover, they're saying things relevant to the to the Olympics that you and I might say, you know, things like, yeah, I'm really loving the Rio Olympics and, you know, I was hoping for a bag of gold in the pool and I can't sleep, you know, I'm so excited about our, our chances in the rowing and. Hopefully this year will be when one of our men wins gold on the track. 
And then we just answered all that with the simple fact of that since London Olympics, we've spent 377 million chasing gold. And then we just posed the rhetorical question, can't imagine what else that could have been spent on. And we just registered the website, bronzedozzies.com.au. And we had the end line then was gold has its price. Let's go for bronze, which, which was, you know. And this shows, you know, even though I'm the writer and Andrew's the art director, that was a line that Andrew came up with. So it's quite a collaborative, you know, it's kind of yeah. an osmosis thing. And I think that was the clinch of that line. It was an absolute cracker. So, um, yeah, we were quite happy with how it turned out. And we went on the show and, and the other guys we were up against went, quite a funny route about, you know, don't win gold because you might get robbed away for your gold medals in Brazil and it's called quite funny and, <laughs> and then we ours came on and I think it was a bit of a, and it was funny when they filmed the show because they'd all come off the funny ad and then, and the whole show's funny and then ours came on and I think in the first part there was a few nervous laughs in the audience and I think people thought it was going to be funny or a twist and then it, there wasn't a twist, it was just a kick in the guts <laughs> and it was like, oh. And then, you know, fantastically, we got all four votes from the panel, from Todd and Russell and, and the two guest panelists. And yeah, no, it was great. It was a really good experience to do, and Will Anderson was fantastic. And yeah, it's a great, great show to, you know, be part of the, the filming and, uh, yeah, got our little trophy. And, but then I guess where you sort of saw it then, I guess, was through social media on Facebook, which right. is where yeah. it went berserk. In the Did day, it? Yeah, the I was following. wondering. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because... CJZ, the production company that, that make Bruin, they then um, uh, they then own the, the, the ad and, and they push it out. So we put it on our, our website and, you know, a few people that we know, but um, they pushed it out on their Facebook page. And, you know, and, you know, the show gets well over a million viewers every week. Yeah. And it went out that night on Facebook and we were just sitting there going, wow, it's got 10,000 views. It's got, and then suddenly, you know, I've got a teenage son who lives on social media and he was just yelling out, it's getting more, it's getting more. <laughs> and then he got up in the morning and it had got, I don't know, 50,000. And today, I mean, in, in, in a little under a week, it had 600,000 views wow. on their Facebook page, which was fantastic. And it got shared another 8,000 times, retweeted by so many different people. Will Anderson was pushing it out everywhere. Um, and then even on like, stories on The Guardian and other newspapers where the, the because then the, the Rio Olympics ended and our team didn't do as well, you know, inverted commas, as, as you know, experts or the media wanted. The questions about the funding started and there were some comments in The Guardian from people going, well, that ad on the Gruen really hit it, you know, this is how much we spend on, you know, on the Olympics, it should be spent on other things. So it was sparking, it was sparking a conversation. Yeah. Now the next thing is, is it going to spark a change? You know, that's it's it's difficult because it's not it's a speculative thing. You know, we've set up that website and it, and it leads, and we've put some links to a few charities on there. A few you know homeless charities, YWC that that help homeless and domestic violence at YWCA and and Mission Australia. Um, but you know the the talk has already started. And now, oh, do we need to do more funding for the next games, you know, to get more gold medals? Mm. And all we're saying is, well, why don't we look at a different model? Like the UK, the UK set up the lotto there, there. They never had a lottery before um, they got the London Olympics. And then for a decade beforehand, that's how they funded the Olympics and they funded the Olympic team, is through their lottery. And I saw in the paper the other day, someone's coming out saying, oh, maybe we should do that here, have a special 
you know, Olympics lotto. Now, how that would sit with, you know, the lotto, the tax lotto people who have the market on that. Um, but, you know, we'll have one where a percentage of it goes or, or just, just, seem, just doesn't seem fair. When, uh, so actually, someone tweeted that, and I haven't verified this fact, but he, but he, he, he worked in the field of mental health and was saying that figure of 377 million was something like four or five times what the government spends on youth suicide prevention. And youth suicide's terrible, you know. It's biggest killer. Yeah. And young men anyway. You know, well, yeah. It's great on one hand that we're telling people to, you know, achieve their best and all that. And I think it's I think it's brilliant. But, you know, you've got other poor bastards who are doing it tough and, you know, not, not getting the services they really need. So Yeah. And we're not saying we've got the answers, or you know, it was just a, it was to spark conversation. So we're really happy with that it's done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I recommend people check it out. Um, they can obviously go to your website to find it. Yeah, they can go to it. Mr. Mumbles, or they can go to on Facebook. If they go to Gruen, G-R-U-E-N, on their Facebook page, they'll find it on there. It's, it's probably the top, top viewed video on there. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, that could. It's well up over 600,000 and, and all the other spots that they've done, I think, for the first five weeks of the show had a combined viewing of like 170,000 or something. So, we, yeah, we'll kick it out. But, um, yeah, no, no, it's good. And it's led to quite a few interesting calls. We've got quite That's a few it, yeah. calls from, um, you know, ch charities that work in that space, which is great. As a business, we can't take on all clients that, you know, just need pro bono work. So it's kind of deciding on what, who, who we can help. But... There's some obviously there's some big charitable organisations who have have marketing dollars. So, yeah, but but, um, but it's also helped in a few other areas of people um, wanting to contact us and uh, do some work, which is which is really good. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's you know I think it's finally my kids kind of understand what I, what I do. So <laughs> and my yeah, it's my, taken fifteen years. Yeah. Yeah. At least. But you know, but my son is you know I think it's the first time he's told his mates of. Something I've done because it's got you know six hundred thousand views on Facebook, so it's <laughs> you know normal ads don't don't have no cred, but you know yeah. you know, and he's quite fixated on uh, social media content and what views you get, and you know he follows a whole range of vloggers and YouTubers and stuff, so it's it's all about hits. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing he said was, "So do you get that? Do you get that money?" Because I said, "No, no, that's that." That, that those hit rates will go to uh, the production company that will get it. Because he's already uh, worked out at 14 that, uh, you know, how the YouTube algorithm works for, you know, views and, you know, how they share share ad, ad profits and stuff. So it's quite yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a couple of questions as we start to wrap up. Yeah. Um, the first one is about, I guess, something you daydream about disrupting one day. So... Oh. You know, when you're maybe when you're sitting here at the cafe and you're a little bit overwork and you, you think about, oh, you know, in ten years' time, I'd just love to be part of disrupting this particular thing or this industry, or I'd love to be part of that, you know, that change and that movement. Is there anything that you, you know, you daydream about or speculate about um, sometimes? What a, it's not, it's not a specific industry or thing. You know, it's not like oh, I don't, you know, the Uber no. of whatever, but. I think as a society, and, and I guess you and I have been able to do this, get more flexibility as in how we work. I just think, 
you know, there's a huge, and rightly so, a huge drive for women coming back into the workforce. And I would love to work out how we can change perceptions within men that you don't have to be the alpha male breadwinner who has to work 60, you know, 50 hours a week. And, I, and it's such a fundamental part of capitalist system, you know, especially in a place like Sydney or Melbourne where, you know, both my wife and I work, you know, we have to because it's so expensive here, but it's how you can get more flexibility as a, in a partnership, whereas, so who, whoever wants to be the driven one to work can do that, and whoever wants to maybe have more flexibility and be more of a caregiver can do, can do that. And I know that's quite an esoteric thing to disrupt, but it's, uh, it's not a specific industry, but it's like, how can we get more flexibility or across all yeah. industries? You know, and I've got mates who are tradies who seem to be able to do it quite well, whereas I think it's people, um, and I'll speak from a male perspective, because I know blokes in white collar jobs locked in and the majority of them bring it on themselves. They want to do that. And it's just trying to shift that mindset of you don't have to, you know. I quite love running my own business and, you, and, I'm, and I work some really long hours, but I've got flexibility to, to do it and be around when the kids are there or like yourself, where you're doing quite a few things, you know, and you have a bit more flexibility in what, in, yeah. and how you are with family. Um, you know, I had a dad who worked the one company for 40 odd years, but what's incredibly long hours and just, you know, to, you know, it was, we never wanted anything growing up, but it would have been nice to have him around a little bit more. I can't, I can never remember dad coming to a school thing during the week. He was always there on the weekends. He was always there for sport and everything else, always. It was fantastic, but yeah, you know, I, I just see with my kids how much it means to them when you, when you are there and yeah. you know, drop in for, and not just the sports carnival, but when you're in there in the classroom or helping with a reading group or something like that, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, you know, I'm not sure if I'll ever see that in my lifetime of how it will change things, but I just think we've got to change an approach to work and, and maleness, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I'm totally with you on that one. I, I know, there's little signs of it, mm. but I feel, I mean, it's, it's a big difference between having your own thing and then working for someone else. Like, I, I, feel, the, I feel almost the guilt of not being at a certain place in a certain time yeah. when I'm working with someone else, even yeah. though I can still get my work done wherever yes. and at whatever time. But there's this kind of, for me, there's this almost sense of that I have to be at a certain place at a certain time so that someone can look at me to make sure that I am oh, doing yeah. my work. Oh, yeah, yeah. there's very much that check. And that's still very prevalent in big ad agencies. You know, it's the, you've got to be at your desk. You've got to be seen to be doing Where Whereas, you know, we're out here at a cafe as I've said, that's where I probably do my best work, is out of the office. Yeah. Um, but so many agencies still believe you've got to be there ticking off and, you know, if you're not, if you're not coming in Saturday, don't bother coming in Sunday kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's just ridiculous, yeah. And it, I think it does change, because when I was young, I loved, you know, and when you're young and you know kids and your work is so much of your social structure, you work long hours and you go out and you drink with your work colleagues and it's just one kind of group and it kind of melds into one. But um, I think when you get a bit older and family and what have you, you know, there's other things you want to you do, obviously. But, um, 
and I know it's it's very difficult doing that flexibility in big companies. Although it shouldn't be with technology and what have you these days, people should be able to have some flexibility. You know, to be able to not be sitting at a particular spot between X and Y, you know, mm. whatever. Yeah. You're going to do it. I mean, we, a couple of our employees, you know, they, they're in the office, say two days, but then they'll do another two days from home. And we know they're going to do it. We, we actually know they'll, they'll probably do more than that, you know. And we often say keep track of the extra hours and, and, they, and I think people are just very happy in that there's a flexibility. You're a bit, you know, when you're sitting in an office, it's like, oh, bloody hell, there's your, there's your time. But when you're doing it around your life, yeah, it's a bit more flexible. Yeah, so. yeah, it is. And then, you know, if you need to just have a break from work, you can get dinner ready or, you know, do your washing. You can not, you, and it just means that, like, I find that the procrastination is actually produ productive procrastination as opposed to like just spending my whole time on Facebook or something like that. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? And so in the time where I'm working, I'm like super productive and super focused and I can I can do it in my really productive times, which might be first thing in the morning, you know, when I'd normally be commuting, for yeah, example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, no, the, you know, when I work at home, because I'm, you know, my commutes, oh, you know, it can be anywhere between an hour or an hour 40, depending on public transport, traffic, Sydney traffic. Yeah. So, um, but if I'm working from home, um, you know, I'll help get the kids out the door or I'll drop my daughter at school and then back, grab a coffee, back at the dining room table. And I'm, and I'm working from, you know, 8.30 or quarter past eight then, or, you know, or even I'll get up and I'll answer emails first. And then, yeah. whereas then if I've dropped my daughter at school at 10 past eight, you know, I'm in the car for drive or I'm on public transport till quarter past, 20 past nine. So I'm doing an extra hour work, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so. And you would think that, you know, the NBN would help all that, but you know, whether that's gonna be the right one, who knows, so, yeah. The last question's about you. So the podcast is obviously called Subtle Disruptors and it's mm. for, I guess it's, it's about, you know, the subtle change that we can all make in our own life that can lead to big, profound changes, you know, the tiny changes that are accessible. And, mm. and is there a small change that you have made in your own life that's enabled you to be where you are today or something that you do on an ongoing basis that would be interesting for other people to hear about as well? Something that triggers me, that, that kind of... No, nah, something, well, something that you've, like a, a small habit, I suppose, or, or a small change that you've made to, you know, I mean, in running your own businesses is something that you, yeah, yeah. you do. Yeah. Look, something that I've I've this is gonna sound really, really um, boring and basic, but I I do find exercising, daily exercise, you know, I've I've never been a great exercise. I've been fits and spurts. Yeah. You know, I'm not a big, you know, marathon cyclist like yourself <laughs> but um but, you know, last year I've got into a lot more regular exercise and I hate I hate to admit that it has made me feel a lot better and I feel a lot more productive yeah um, because it kind of confirmed all those things that oh shit I should have been doing this for, for years but just <laughs> just a small amount of exercise I mean I'm so in love with this um, high intensity training approach of just doing a short amount of exercise but doing it every day 
I'm, I'm a bit up and down with it, but it's, it's, I can definitely feel benefits. I feel a lot more relaxed and I feel I sleep better. And I think that's been a roll on effect to help me disrupt more in, you know, in the business, which is 90% of my focus at the moment, you know, running, you know, trying to have outside interests and things like that. But it's, um, you know, the business is a bit all encompassing at the moment, but I'm doing it a bit with, you know, getting together with old mates and playing in a band and stuff. So that's, that's a little bit of a, yeah, cool. maybe that's helped as well, you know, just getting back to playing some old early eighties Australian music, yeah. <laughs> which I won't bore you with, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's not, it's not such a spectacular insight, I think, but it, it has, yeah, you know, it has helped. And I think I, for years, have been a, a lazy bloody cynic about exercise, and uh, so it kind of yeah frustrated me that it did help so much. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Laurie, that's Thanks a great you. note to finish on. Cheers, Thanks mate. for the chat. Thank and, you. And um, yeah, just awesome to be hanging out with you again. Yeah, it's great. Great yeah. to see you again. Cheers, Cheers. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I would love to hear from you about your thoughts on the show or ideas you have for guests. I'll be coming to other cities shortly. You can get me on my email, which is adam at subtledisruptors.com. I'm Adam Murray, and one day I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.